Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. We've got a very special show this week. Uh, we've got two guests from outside Wizards of the Coast, uh, Sam Black and Brad Nelson, two people you probably recognize. are here to talk everything about Modern Horizons 2, and they've got a unique perspective because they actually worked on the set ahead of its release uh, for like, what was it, a month you guys were in the building? Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say three and a half weeks. Three and a half um, weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was it was four <laughs> weeks, but but we spent some time actually starting to 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 work from home. It was it was right mm-hmm. before COVID. Right. Yeah. So they're going to bring a unique perspective. Uh, we're going to ask them a bunch of questions. We're going to talk about a bunch of cards. Uh, we'll do a crack a pack where we open up some collector boosters and they can just share some stories and insights from their time testing the set. Uh, and we're going to take your questions as well. So if you have questions for Sam or Brad about Modern Horizons 2, let's be a little specific, uh, put them in <laughs> chat, and we'll get to them uh, either at the end of the show or when it makes sense before then. Uh, but before we get to all of that, we're going to do a little bit of news. So first up, this weekend is the Strixhaven Championship. You'll see the broadcast team here. It's happening June 4th to 6th on twitch.tv slash magic uh, all weekend. Big event. Make sure you are tuning in to see standard and historic action. Uh, Next up for something more Modern Horizons related, Loading Ready Run held their pre-pre-release yesterday. I was on a Wednesday, which is a little different, so you might have missed it. If you missed it, you can still check out the VOD on uh, twitch.tv slash loadingreadyrun slash videos. A lot of cool stuff. They they played Modern Horizons. They um, built decks. They cracked packs. It was a good time. Check it out if you're into Modern Horizons. And really, it's, it's the first place... Uh, to see people play Modern Horizons Limited. Uh, Modern Horizons, as a reminder, is available on Magic Online today. So let's, uh, let's move back to Sam and Brad. So um, Brad, like overall, tell us what was your experience testing? How, how did you get brought in? What did they ask you to do? That sort of deal. Well, uh... I didn't know what project we were working on until we got there on the first day. And so I assumed I was going to be working on standard. Um, so, so when we get there and they say it's Modern Horizons 2, at first I didn't look at Modern for the last like year. So I had to just crunch and learn a bunch, a bunch of what was going on in Modern. Uh, but the best experience was initially just getting to read a file. I've never read a, a set mm-hmm. file before and that's that is a huge data dump right like there's so many cards and so many um conversations happening and it, and i'm a slow reader so it took me way longer than sam to get through that entire file he was already like building decks by the time i got through half of it well i had a head start um okay <laughs> so, uh, my, my history here is a little bit different than brad's um i had actually um had a contract the previous like September uh, to work remotely on the set. Um, and so they sent me the file at home and I read it and gave some feedback. And then um, that was supposed to be like a four week long remote contract. 
But after like the second week, I just stopped hearing from anyone. And then I was like, so what's going on? And they were like, oh, sorry, we've been really busy and we had to like rearrange everything and we're not actually working on Modern Horizons 2 anymore. We're going to do that later. Uh, your contract will be <laughs> over by then. So we don't have any more work for you. We'll talk to you again when we get back to actually working on this set. Um, and so I, I knew what was up. I had seen an older version of the file when I got there and I had to just like come in and see what had changed and, um, mm -hmm. you know, refresh my memory on everything and stuff. And also um, Zach Elsick had prepared a list of cards that were like a supplementary file to the set. There were the cards that he thought were going to be relevant in modern that were in upcoming sets that hadn't been released yet. Um, so that rather than having it, they wanted to minimize the amount of like extraneous information that we had. So rather than having us look at like everything that was known about every standard set, he was like, this is the stuff that I think might matter in modern. Mm -hmm. I th yeah. And it also helped with, um, you know, tiptoeing around the, the fact that like, I, I personally didn't want to get a bunch of extra information about new sets being a competitor in these championships. And so getting mm -hmm. these full lists would be a thing, but yeah, that, that does remind me of Companion Day. I sure did love the day that Sam jumped, leaped out of his seat and was like, did you check out these things? And I was still looking at MH2. But Companion Day was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, like, why, why don't you tell that? Yeah. Why don't you tell that story? And Sam or Brad, you can take it because I know Brad, Brad wrote about it in his article and, and we've talked about it a little bit. So tell us about Companion Day. Well, so uh, I was like reading this supplementary file and I got to like a companion and read the words and it just didn't make sense without like the rules context. I was just like, what is this? I just turned to Zach, his deck was desk to my desk was next to mine. And I'm just like, what am I looking at here? What does this card mean? And he explained it. And I was just like, so you get, you just get an eight card hand. That's all you have. All I have to do is build my deck in a certain way. And I get an extra card in my hand. Brad, did you know about this? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, my mind was still being blown. Like, like Sam was starting to, Sam was probably on his fifth Yorion deck, and they were just stacking up on his desk. By the time I was just going around being like, "Have you checked out this Ragavan card? It's adorable." You know, this, <laughs> this is how our attitudes were on the first day. You know, I was like, "Ignoble hierarch, I love it." <laughs> um, well, yeah, we caught up. I mean, it was it was it was fun to work on them, but also work on all of the other stuff. Because uh, who knows? Like Sam, you definitely thought that they were broken, and you were correct. Um, I had, to, I mean, so Zach didn't even like Zach pulled enough of them that I could find out that they existed, but he had like some opinions about like which ones would be relevant and which ones wouldn't be, and I was like. If I get rewarded for building my deck in certain ways, I want to know all the ways that I might want to build my deck. So I just like went into the stuff to search that wasn't presented to us. And I'm just like, no, if there are more of these, I need to know about them. And that's why I found Yorian. Oh, and then and then I five had it eventually in, in the first like day or two. Or it wasn't the first day or two, I guess week maybe. Uh yeah. time just doesn't exist anymore for me about this. Mm. But uh I, I five headed it and and just decided, you know what, if Sam's right then these won't even matter by the time. So then I just started ignoring them completely. And I didn't have to worry about building all these like weird decks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it all worked out. I got to test these cards. <laughs> so you're, uh, so when you guys were testing, you weren't there till the final, final set. Uh, you, you, your contracts ended a little bit before that. So was there anything when the set was 
finally revealed now during previews uh, that surprised you or, or that really piqued your interest? We'll start with Sam. Yes. Uh, so grief, I think, was a design that we just never saw. Um, we had, you know, workshopped it a lot. And um, like for a while, it was three mana. So it was abusable with unearth. It did different things. It wasn't Thoughtseize. But I felt like, you know, the most important change, I think, was making sure that it cost at least four mana so that you couldn't uh, unearth it. Because um, that's mm -hmm. just like too easy to reuse the ability. Um, and uh, yeah, Thoughtseize was, or I mean, coercion, I guess, because you don't lose life. Um, was I, I don't even remember like what we had come to as like the most likely solution to well this is not really fun to have in the format if it's uh, on Mortigo um, like I, I have no idea what like our work in progress was when, when I last saw it but I don't remember mm -hmm. this design um, but I mean I, I also might have just forgotten um, I, I I think we did play with this card this exact okay. version of it but it was okay. it was later on and I mean it was it was chaos right like there was. There were so many cards to work on, and I'm pretty sure we got to something similar to that and was like, well, this is way safer. It's actually kind of fun, interactive. It's punishing, right? Like the the other versions, especially at three mana, um, didn't feel like there was much of a cost um, in any matchup. And and so like if you look at a card like I think I believe it's called Fury, the red one. Am I right? Am yeah. I right? Yep. Yes, I am. Yeah. Like Fury, Fury is not going to have an impact in some matches right so it's not really mm -hmm. you know there's matchups that it's not going to but in the ones that it will it's going to have a devastating impact and so it's super powerful and that's just what um that that's just what grief felt like in every matchup so it got to a safe space and then i think we moved on sure and then the other card that i knew i was anticipating um was territorial kabu um, cause when I left, I kind of left with a desperate plea to make it a little bit weaker. Um, I don't remember exactly what abilities it had when we left, but they were stronger. The attack triggers were stronger. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think, they're, they're... I think it like naturalized something and maybe just like straight up drew a card. Brad probably knows, but Brad, I think played with it more than I did. Yeah. Brad, yeah. this was your preview card, right? Yeah. Um, well, so, so I, 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 I messaged everyone and I'm like, give me Spaloon, please. And they're like, well, we can't. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then they gave me Territorial Kabu, which is pretty cool because I played a lot with it. Um, mm -hmm. But that was before I knew that they actually did take our suggestion. There was a third ability on this. Um, and I think Sam and I both, you know, left our final notes on the last day. They're like, anything that you feel strongly about. And one of them was removing that ability for me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so this card at this spot, I felt was, was, I mean, it's still very powerful. But if you look at a lot of the creatures that these decks are already playing, they're also very powerful. And uh, the other ability would have, I think, pushed it over the edge. So right now, I, I like where this ended up. I think I wanted it to have must attack, but whatever. Yes, yeah, but but I, we ran out of space, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, Brad, what surprised you? Um. Uh, I, I, I don't know if anything, like, super surprised me. I think the biggest thing that surprised me is, like, cards that were in the set that I totally forgot existed. Like, I forgot about Upheaval. I forgot about Titania. Um, even I even had to, like, reread some of the cards that I put a lot of work into because um, I don't remember them, like, like Thosta or, or Thrasta. Thrasta? Mm -hmm. Thrasta. Uh, like, I, I couldn't remember all of these abilities. Like, I was like, 
planes trample over planeswalker that's like oh yeah i remember playing this i remember getting beat up by this <laughs> card um and that's kind of what happens right it's like a year later especially this last mm -hmm. year a lot happens it's, it's kind of weird that both of us forgot upheaval yeah well that <laughs> that should say something right <laughs> you brewers you gotta break it um i think i think my favorite thing was uh Spailoon looked a lot like how i worked on it that was one of the cards that i probably put too much work into i i played a mm -hmm. lot of fish played a lot of merfolk while i was there and that card looked very similar to how we left it and i was really happy about it okay well that actually uh is a nice bridge into our next question and there's Sveloon up on the screen the the legendary creature merfolk god uh so one of the questions i had was which archetypes do you think got the biggest boost from this set so uh, brad you can expand a little bit on fish and then we can open it up to other archetypes yeah i i definitely think that that Murpho got a, a big boon with Sveloon and especially um tide shaper i think tide shaper is one of the bigger upgrades because you know spreading seas has always been something that merfolk always had to play but now you get this tide shaper that kind of represents that same slot but you can also double down now against decks like tr colorless or or certain you know archetypes so I, i'm a big fan that merfolk will at least get uh two upgrades i i hope Sveloon is awesome it was a lot of fun to play with i i particularly liked that the god ability was unique as opposed to like maybe like Theros block gods where it's devotion based or it turns off and it's always indestructible. Um, mm -hmm. But I found a I found a lot of fun with these decks. Also like Tide Shaper having Aaron Forsyth uh, added this kicker mechanic to this card, and uh, I just loved it because in blue matchups you can you can just play it on one and be way more aggressive with it. But then you you have this kicker effect in other matchups where you actually want to have that spreading seas effect. Mm hmm. All right. Uh, Sam, what other archetypes do you think got stronger thanks to MH2? Well, I mean, I think Reanimator was basically created wholesale. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, before it's like Unburial Rights might be a package in a deck or whatever. And now it's like, well, we have like Persist and uh, um, Unmarked Grave and mm -hmm. Arcana Cruelty and um, the White Black. Uh, thing that can sack to return something that I don't remember the name of that has on Earth. Um, and yeah, it's a like, priestess. The thing that's kind of like a Doom Necromancer, but way, way better in every way. Um, priest of Fell Rights. Yeah. There you are. Um, and th that's just like, I don't know. It, it was, I was very scared of how much we gave to like a whole new archetype that's known to be like, legit competitive deck in legacy and i think we put it into modern at like comparable to legacy type power level um including mm -hmm. like two different essentially like two mana reanimation spells um i i argued for persist to cost three but i i do think that um reanimator is relatively easy to hate out but i definitely think that you know this is a scary deck if you don't respect graveyards um and, you know, there had been less reason to care about graveyards because of Faithless Looting's ban, but this is really going to force players to pay attention to graveyards again. Um, okay. And then also, I think Hardened Scales got a lot of tools. Um, and Enchantress was another deck that, like, basically didn't exist that mm -hmm. now maybe has enough support. It, it, it was a ton others? of fun... Uh, I think Domain Zoo uh, definitely got a facelift. 
it it, mm-hmm. it was always this i mean the well the truth is right now like death shadow has been working with you know these five color aggro decks to um make these archetypes and so uh i do think that for a while there were these domain archetypes that didn't lean on that uh that life lost death shadow variant and now mm-hmm. maybe that can branch away from that uh but still even there like all of these hyper aggressive decks always have like these two drops that are either Tarmogoyf or uh, Brushfire Elemental, and they they have their downsides where Territorial Cavalry really doesn't. So I mm-hmm. think that right there, right then and there, uh, and then I don't know, uh, Sign of Draco might might see some action in these decks, but they're they're so lean already. Who knows? Um, but I definitely think yeah. Territorial Cavalry will be killing people a lot. All right. Uh, next up, what cards did you each feel most responsible for, um, whether you designed them wholesale or made a really important tweak or, or advocated for them? Uh, let's start with you, Brad. Uh, I don't, I don't really want to say, I don't want, I don't want responsibility at this point. Like I don't want people to, <laughs> to accuse me of anything. I want to wait to see it. What, what was that, Sam? How can it not be Spaloon? Well, Svelun is definitely I, I had a, a an impact on on working on that, but also Cyan of Draco might be there too. Sure, okay, uh, I yeah. think I think Cyan of Draco was a card that was very difficult to get right because the knob that you do could show how powerful it actually is, um, mm-hmm. and so that was a difficult one to get correct. And but yeah, Svelun, it's definitely Svelun. I played a lot with fish, and I like the story. Aaron has has said that he forced me to do it but i i just did it i just spent a lot of company time just playing with fishies and <laughs> that's what i did <laughs> time well spent it was it's Sam, a beautiful card it is it is uh i mean moderation and the underworld cookbook i guess um most directly mostly what i did is just make cards a lot weaker um like there are a bunch <laughs> of cards that cost more mana now or um are smaller or aren't in a set or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every day I would just have like a hit list of cards that I was trying to demonstrate were too strong and make them weaker. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I, moderation yeah, I, for those who, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. Sean, keep keep it on moderation. I was going to have Sean put up moderation. It's a, it's a interesting one. It's a three man enchantment. Uh, you can't cast more than one spell each turn, and whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. Now, Sam, you actually, um, in your article today on Star City Games, it said you what you submitted was similar to this but had a, a, a key difference. Yeah, it was actually um, more different than I remembered. So the version that I submitted was one in a blue, not one a white in a blue. Um, so it only cost two mana, and it was mono blue. Um, but it only it drew a card at the beginning of your turn, not whenever you cast a spell. Um, but it still had the only one spell per turn restriction, which is interesting because so when we got there and saw it in the file, it was blue white, no colorless, so still two mana but gold, and draw a card when you cast a spell, not draw a card once per turn. And um, I think Brad and Brian, uh, some combination of the two of them, I don't remember exactly, uh, like got a little spooked by this one and decided that it was too strong at two mana. Um, and so we just added a mana to it to uh, like make sure it didn't do anything crazy. And I actually kind of wish we had just reverted to the original design or like or made it blue-white but kept it at two mana and made it um, 
just only draw one card a turn. I, I'm worried about mm -hmm. at three mana, the setup cost. On the other hand, this version is also probably more interesting in multiplayer, so they're trade-offs. Yeah, speaking of being spooked about this card, I just remember building, um, Brian building decks around it with, you know, all the incarnations and Pact of Negation and 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 things were just taking a, a, a really bad turn in the mid-game. The deck was just dominating a lot of decks. Uh, that might be on me for just building bad decks against him, you know? I'll, I'll take some of that blame. But the card was a lot of fun to play with. Uh, next up, what is a change that was made that you are most proud of, that you're really glad you pushed through? We'll go to Brad first. Oh, no, no, Sam. Let's go to Sam. Let me oh, think. Okay. Caracas. <laughs> Caracas isn't in the set. Yep. Yeah. That's, okay, Brad. That's, oh, oh no. Um, that's all. That's all the time you have to think. Uh, I think this one was a combination of Brian and I um, mm -hmm. working on this card, but we worked on General Ferris uh, Rockwork a lot. For anyone that knows Brian Brundon, a, a big fan of Esper Hero. Hero Precinct 1, and so started playing with General and the multicoloredness. And initially, this card had protection from monocolor and not hexproof. And so we we kept playing it against monocolored aggressive decks uh, and to just see how powerful it was. And it being able to dominate combat, the turn it comes to play, and then untap and then create more 4-4s was problematic. And mm -hmm. so I think that that was a good change, because this card is very powerful. It, it's, it might not be... Uh, a staple in the format, but we found it to be exceptionally powerful, and that and that change I think at least helped against some of the at least giving monocolored aggressive decks a, a fighting chance against the card. This also does a lot of work to keep cards like Abrupt Decay uh, relevant in the format, where we're getting mm -hmm. a bunch of really strong monocolored removal spells. But if people like mm -hmm. lean on those monocolored removal spells, this card's super punishing. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right, favorite card in the set. You get to go first this time, Brad. All right, uh, my mine is by far just Regavan. It's just not mm -hmm. close. Like, I I just, it's not even for the abilities. I just, the moment that I saw the card, I, I mean, I played a lot of carries of red, black, aggressive decks and played against it. Mm -hmm. Regavan was just always either attacking my opponents or attacking me for a year and a half straight. And so when I saw it, mm -hmm. it actually got its own card, it had the flavor of dash, which is is the haste, uh, and and the ability is is pretty awesome. I was just all about this card. I, I I loved it. I played with it. I thought it was really good, and I think it'll it'll be a fun card in modern. But it's just the flavor of it. It, it just cuts deep for me. All right, Sam, favorite card. I mean, I think Brad gave the best answer. I think Ragavan is just an absolutely <laughs> like delightful card in every way. Um, my like biased favorite is the Underworld Cookbook. Um, mm. I um, I really really like uh, Asmarana Mordecai Asmarana Mordecai Destin Koldakar's story, um, and uh, I think um, I also just really like one mana artifact engines. Like I'm a big fan of lantern control and mm -hmm. um, I might be something of like a, which is of an apologist, if not all of the cards around it were quite as strong as they are. Um, and so I, I like the idea of just having like another different, uh, like one mana 
uh, innocuous looking build around artifact um, that can just kind of turn on a whole deck. Um, I think it'll be fun to see like how people, you know, manage to use like combine the like weirdly different things that this deck does. Like how do you combine, I want to discard cards and I want to make food. Um, so I, I think it's a like fun puzzle. Like, do you try to play this with cat and oven or do you go a different way and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're actually getting a, a couple questions in chat about say, say their name again, Sam as asmo. <laughs> yeah. Sam's got it. Um, so talk a little bit about this card, the development of it, that weird first line of text. Sam, I, I think you had a little story about this. Yeah. Um, so this card used to just have madness, uh, which I thought was absolutely awesome because it's like, oh, it makes total sense because madness is a theme in red, black in this set, but this card obviously can't have a casting cost. So it has like a workaround that is just like a known mechanic that gives a card an alternate casting cost. Um, the problem is because it's a legend, uh, we wanted it to be usable by uh, commander or uh, commander players as their companion, as their commander. And so it had to have this other weird text about like some kind of ability to like cast it from the command zone or discard it from the, like something. I don't even remember exactly what the workaround was, but there was some way that you could like get this from your command zone into somewhere relevant. Um, I think it might've like, yeah. And it had weird stuff about like leaving the graveyard, I think. Um, and um, it, 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 this card went through a lot of different designs. It was always a three, three. Um, and it was always a uh, red, black hybrid to cast if you could cast it. But I really didn't like referencing the command zone on not a commander product. So I'm really glad we were able to move away from that. But I'm really sad that we had to lose madness aesthetically to do that. Um, again, mm -hmm. there are trade-offs and, uh, I, I, yeah, this card could be more elegant, but it would keep it away from a lot of players who I think might have a lot of fun with it. So might be for the best. Um, and yeah, it, it, the first version of it wasn't as directly tied to the underworld cookbook. It was just like the underworld cookbook was a way to discard cards and this had madness. So like you wanted to play them together, but they weren't like, it's not like this card specifically called out the other one. All right. Um, you guys shared a couple of stories with me when we were prepping this. And so I, I think people want to hear about squirrel day, Brad. <laughs> squirrel day. Uh, squirrel I don't day. even remember what the cards were, how they looked, but, uh, after, after a lot of the initial excitement, like we, we poured over some of the, the mythics and some of the, the build arounds, we finally were like, all right, let's, let's check out these squirrels now that they're like being added to the file. And. I don't know who did it. It might've been Zach. It was probably Zach, uh, Elsick, but built a squirrel deck and we sat down and then we're like, oh, it's just beating every modern deck. Like just the squirrel deck is way too overpowered. We call Aaron over, Aaron starts watching. He's enjoying himself for about an hour. He's like, all right, yeah, we'll change some things, you know? But like the squirrels <laughs> were just like killing like tier one modern decks on turn four with ease. So we're like, yeah, we should push the tokens back a little bit. Oh, it was a fun day though. Just, just get like, I loved just getting paid to do this nonsense, you know, and it mm -hmm. was work. We were working, but it was just so much fun. 
Good. Um, another story that you guys shared with me beforehand. Uh, so we we generally don't talk about designs that didn't make it into the set uh, because they could show up in a future set. Uh, but we, we got permission for Sam to share the story of one such card because it was so ridiculous, it's it's likely never going to make it. Yeah, so I mentioned that I did like an earlier remote contract with a previous version of this set. And so um, this was even less refined and even more powerful than what we were working on in the building. And so some of the cards were just like, I, I just couldn't believe that it was a serious consideration. Um, so one of the two most egregious cards, and I'll just leave it as a teaser like that, but one of the two most egregious cards was um, an island fish of some sort. I, I think it felt, I think it was like somehow a reference to island fish, Jasconius. Um, but it was uh, an island like Dryad Arbor. Um, so it, it was, you know, the same kind of structure where it is a creature with a basic land type. So you can like fetch for it with a fetch land and stuff. But because it's a creature, it has summoning sickness. But instead of being a 1-1, one, one, it had Defender. Um, so it got to be a little bit bigger. So it was a 3-4. Um, <laughs> and so I was just like, so like if your opponent plays like a, goblin guide or a swift spear or something and attacks into your flooded strand you just block with a three four and they put their creature in the graveyard and we <laughs> well, think you, that, like, you have to make it a three four so it can't get lightning bolted yeah no i mean you want to be yeah, sure like, to their creature even after turn one <laughs> yes of course <laughs> right yeah so that that was just a I don't, I don't know if it was just a prank or what, but it was in the file that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, have no, I have no explanation as to how it got there or what it was doing there. Um, but I, I was sent a file that had that card in it. And uh, then when I got to the building, uh, it wasn't there anymore. And that seemed like an improvement to me. Look, it was a test and you passed, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, so chat, um, I've been grabbing questions, keep them coming. I've got a little notepad here to ask them. Uh, I'm gonna ask them some questions and then we're gonna uh, move on to Crack-A-Pack. Uh, just to follow up on a couple things you guys said earlier that chat was wondering about. Uh, Sam, what was your issue with Caracas being in the set? Oh, my issue with Caracas is that I think that it is really strong against legends that you don't control. Um, <laughs> uh, you've ever tried putting a Tassiger in a legacy deck? Uh, it doesn't have a lot of impact on the game if your opponent controls Caracas. And so I think that if Caracas is legal, it's very difficult to register any legend that costs three or more mana or that needs to stay on the battlefield or let's just say basically any legendary creature um, I, it's really hard to like put one of those in your deck if it doesn't do something when it enters the battlefield. It's okay if it does something when it enters the battlefield because you can be sure that it will do a lot of that. Um, but if you need it to stay on the battlefield, you can also be sure that that won't happen. And it seemed like the way that magic design is going uh, with you know interest and appealing to commander players and stuff, there are more and more relevant, interesting creatures that happen to end up being legends for one reason or another. And it felt like if this card were in modern, it would be really hard to like create a space for those new, new and interesting cards to ever show up. It's also, well, 
I mean, all of that is true, and 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 I think the big one is that lands are not a place where you interact. It's not an interaction point that often in modern. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so that that's a very powerful place to put that. Like, just a a some kind of white based control deck just has this tool that costs them nothing to really add. So every deck is going to have that now. Right. It's like somewhat kept in check in Legacy by Wasteland, but mm -hmm. without that, it's really just your legends are just done. <laughs> all right um next up let's do doo, 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 doo. let's move on to crack a pack and then uh we'll get back to some questions so the game here is pretty easy i've got some collector boosters here i'm just going to open it up we're going to look at some random cards and uh if brad or sam have stories behind these or uh, you know, if they changed in any interesting way, we're gonna we're gonna skip mostly to the. Well, here actually, here's an uncommon that I'm I'm pretty sure you can expand on Squirrel Day. So Ravenous Squirrel used to look a little bit different, right? Yeah, it used to get bigger <laughs> when you track the fetch land. <laughs> I tried to put it in a zoo deck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I don't remember if I think the last ability might have always been the same or something, but it definitely grew when you cracked fetch lands. Yes. Okay. All right. Brad, do you remember if anything uh, else about it changed? Oh no, I mean I, I remember just all of the squirrels changing aggressively. Sure. Um yeah, I don't I don't remember I I, I kind of like after Squirrel Day, I kind of just was like, that's somebody else's job. I'm going to go work on my merfolk. <laughs> yeah, the, the Ravenous Squirrel was really good in, like, my Bloodgast decks. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> what else is in the uh, pack? Next up, next up, this one matches a question we just got. So uh, we've got a an Extended Border Profane Tutor. So talk Ooh. not only just about this one, but just generally the uh, suspend spells that mirror powerful effects that are not currently in modern. So that one's obviously a take on demonic tutor. I mean, I, I, I tested a decent amount with the suspend, suspend cards. Cause that's really like one of those spots where if you're wrong, you're really wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But they, with given the, the, the types of effects that they are, uh, I, I was struggling to really do anything busted with them because as we found in the format, you know, whatever you want to say, cheating suspend into play in certain ways. It's more of like the permanent based ones are exploiting the game because you're doing it so fast. So like, you know, suspending or using these cascade mechanics to go tutoring up a deck, tutoring into your deck always felt fine mm -hmm. to me. Like I think searching and putting something in your hand in modern is a is totally reasonable effect. All right. Uh, I don't know about Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we already talked Oh, yeah, about Draco, I was just going to say, I, I don't think Demonic Tutor is the dangerous one in that cycle. No. Okay. Um, Which you we, think we is the dangerous one? We did a lot of work on the blue cycle. in particular, because the blue one was Tinker for a long time. Sure. And it's now uh, Bribery. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right, I think, Sam, you've got some info on Liquid Metal Torque here. Which I've got so, in this foily old board. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? I actually, I'm going to yeah. say that I don't. I, I remember arguing about this in some capacity where I was worried about it. 
Um, Aaron tells me, so Aaron uh, read my article and said there were a couple of things that he remembered differently than me. And he claims mm. that liquid metal torque was never strictly better than liquid metal coating. Um, I remember being worried about some part of this, but apparently like, so I thought my memory was that it could target lamps. Cause I, I remember being worried about this um, in terms of supplementing the like Karn liquid metal coating package. Mm -hmm. um, Aaron tells me he remembers it differently. Um, so I, I'm not sure exactly what the real story is here. All right, fair enough. But yeah, it's, I mean, this is a weird design. <laughs> Just like, uh, a, a, you know, it's not a normal secondary ability for a mana rock. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up. So we've got Mishra's Factory added to the format now. Uh, so in a format which already has Mutavolt, how much of an impact do you expect Mishra's Factory to have? So, I, I mean, I think that Mistress Factory is a stronger card if you are not doing any tribal synergies in your deck. But mm -hmm. in modern, we very rarely see Mutavolt played except by decks that are trying to exploit tribal synergies. So the question mm -hmm. is, is Mutavolt an, or is Mistress Factory enough better than Mutavolt to make people who don't want, who don't care about tribal synergies start playing a card like this? Um, Mistress Factory is also kind of unique in that it's like specifically a card that you want to play four of like it's better in multiples so that they can pump each other um mm -hmm. and it's tricky to find a deck that's like looking for that many colorless lands outside of like affinity i think this is a big upgrade potentially for decks that are specifically looking to turn their lands into artifacts so like where affinity uses like ink moth and blink moth nexus um mistress mm -hmm. factory is competing in that kind of space where Mutavolt doesn't become an artifact, so it gets fewer synergies there. Um, mm -hmm. Mistress Factory does like considerably better work if you're trying to block in like a mono blue control deck or something, where it can block as a three three. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know if like the mana base in a world where like Archmage's Charm and Counterspell are cards that you can try to cast, if anyone's going to end up with a mana base that's interested in Mistress Factory. But I do, you know, I, I think that it's a good way to provide more comparable options to players in modern without really increasing the overall power level that much since it is i think like comparable or competitive with other cards you can play in a similar spot sure um we're not going to spend time talking about the last two cards um because they've been talked about in other places and one's just a reprint but they're pretty so i thought i'd show oh, wow. them off yeah we got out of time that's a favorite of mine from the set and then uh Sisay, Captain, Weatherlight, both in the old frame, which is great, or the retro frame. All right, let's go through some chat questions. Um, we're getting a number of questions about Evoke, uh, which is not getting power level errata. Uh, don't know where that came from, but let's just say no. Uh, but but here, here's, a, here's a question you two can answer. Um, are you concerned about the, um, the, the synergy between Ephemerate and some of the evoke creatures whoa Femery. i Femery. why didn't we test that that sounds amazing that's such an amazing <laughs> idea we should have really thought about that one um no it, it it it's it is super good um but at the same time there's 
the the way magic kind of is going is repeatable effects at the same time kind of lose their muster right like you know sometimes mm-hmm. you're presented by one threat so do you wait for the second threat so you can solitude ephemerate or do you deal with it now because if you don't deal with it now the game might change and so there there uh, there's proactive ways right with grief but you're still down a card in in some effect you do have a three two um but i i do think that that these effects are interesting but through interaction we found them to sometimes just kind of rot in your hand and you're trying to find a situation that doesn't present itself and uh so it's good and it's good when it's going to be good or great when it's going to be good but uh, the situations mm-hmm. aren't always going to show up makes sense that's my um, opinion uh, next question. Uh, this this wasn't really a question, but just sort of a general. Can you talk about Garth One Eye? I mean, I have nothing to say about it. I saw Garth in the original. I don't even remember what it looked like, but there was definitely a few cards in this file that were not for me to dabble in. I could tell, so I stayed as far away from those possible. And Garth <laughs> was one of them. Yeah, Garth. I think when we first saw it, it had different text that called out sets from like cards from the alpha or you know limited edition or whatever sets um it went through a few different designs uh all of us the you know uh brad brian and i had very little to do with this card in that our job specifically was to make sure that nothing in this set broke modern and so i think we just looked at garth and we were like yeah, I mean, I could just cast New Misery Reborn, and that would be better. So this isn't going to break any modern decks. So mm-hmm. if someone wants this card to exist, more power to them, but this has nothing to do with us. Yeah, the, the end result does look cool. Um, I definitely know the I, first version of this card made no sense to me, and I didn't even know what I was referencing because I haven't played mm-hmm. since the beginning, so I just I ignored it. That's that. Um, I'm. I, I said this last week, but I'm. A, I'm a big fan of the book that that's from, which is Arena, which is the first Magic Nelly. See, I've got it. I've got it literally right here. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, it's a. It's actually a really enjoyable book. It's a little. Um, it comes from a different time, and so the. It is canon. I confirmed for all the the lore folks out there, but it's like hand wavy canon. Like things worked a little bit differently back then. Uh, anyway, more questions. He, yeah, uh, it it was it is a book more than any other where it is very clearly referencing casting cards, and then that's where the the card came from. Um, okay, next up, a question for either of you: How do you justify having Bridge from Below banned, but still printing Magus of the Bridge, uh, which is the same thing but with a four four body? <laughs> One of them you have to cast and keep an object on the battlefield. They're just totally different cards. Like mm-hmm. uh, bridge is like the the issue with bridge is that it's abusable because you never have to draw it. You can just mill a bunch of cards and it ends up in your graveyard and does things. Whereas mm-hmm. like while uh, Magus of the Bridge is like a card with similar text, it's not a card that functions similarly. And um, you know it's like the difference between like lightning bolt or shot and shock or whatever, like cards power level isn't really directly tied to like their output. It's a whole package. And like the fact that you have to actually like devote mana to casting this thing 
means it's just like a creature with an ability. Whereas like Underworld Bridge is just its own kind of magic card that functions differently from almost every other magic card. Yeah. Or Bridge Fooler, rather. Um, next up, what madness payoff or enabler do you think is the most powerful in the set? Hmm. Like most powerful for modern specifically. Yeah. Um I I'm I'm gonna pass it to Sam because I was I would just like throw out like Root Wallet because I don't even remember all of them. I did start drafting and I have the the one that returns an instant or sorcery to your hand, and I just returned hunting pack back to my hand right before this. So that that was powerful. <laughs> that card's really good in draft. Um yeah. I think uh, the most powerful for modern outlet is either Bone Shards or the Underworld Cookbook. And the most powerful spell to cast is probably the Ruwala. Like, just getting free value when you discard without needing to commit mana to it's really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we can even show, we can even show uh, old border or uh, retro border foil Bone Shards. We'll talk about it. Um, next up. Uh, for either of you, do you think Leovold Emissary of Trest is too powerful for modern? I would prefer not to see it. I think that card is pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite uh, go-tos when I play Legacy because I like all of its effects. But yeah, it does. It does seem a little frustrating and. I've been living in the historic world preparing for the Strixhaven Championship, and there's been so many Narsets mm-hmm. in my way already. I do not want, I do not want to deal with Leovolt in my way as well. So, so I would say that I would, I would rather live in a world without it than with it. Fair enough. Um, and this is for both of you. Was a card that you knew was made for casual or commander, um, that you tried to make for work for modern anyway because it was so cool or fun. Uh, I guess I mean I would, I would say I stress tested braids and then continue working on it for a little bit more because I was enjoying myself, but we didn't tune it or all at all. So I guess that doesn't count because mm-hmm. we can't change that card. Yeah. Um, I was thinking Karth the Lion is one that I, you know, just like built a deck around just as a like let's be thorough type test. I did really try to push Grist. I, I definitely did try to push Grist and I gave it uh, too powerful of a, or just, I was trying too powerful things and then I think we brought it back. Okay. Um, next up this is for both of you. Do you think Goblin Lackey would be too strong for modern? A 1-1 with so many Lava Dart and Ren and Six type effects in the format. What do you think? Well, I think after hearing how much everyone uh, is scared of Ragavan that I, I don't want another one, one mana red creature that might ruin everyone's <laughs> day. But uh, I, I don't know. Goblins, goblins is this weird thing. If if you give it too many tools, it becomes super powerful. But it is still a creature deck. Okay. What do you think, Sam? I think Ragavan is a good test for this question. Hmm. All right. Um, 
we'll kind of stick on the goblin theme. Uh, the question was, how is it that there is no good goblin in the set? I'm, I'm going to say that's probably not true, considering we have Ignoble Hierarch and Goblin uh, Anarchomancer. But uh, let's, let's twist it a little bit and say, did you guys play much goblins in testing? No, I, I don't think I did. <laughs> I mean, Goblins I mean, as a deck I, wasn't really pushed by the set, and we were mostly trying to mm. test cards that were in the set. Um, mm. And, like, I don't think that, like, exactly how strong Goblins as a deck was was going to make or break Ignoble Hierarch existing. So it didn't feel like a particularly productive use of our time to, like, spend time on Goblins since it wasn't, like, one of the, you know, primary decks this set was supporting. Makes sense. Um, next up, uh, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but we can, we can talk about it again and we'll, we'll go to Sam. Uh, do you feel like reanimator got all the tools now to be a modern archetype? Yes. Cool. Done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, best, the next... best thing, I was just gonna say the best thing about reanimator though, is if it's really good, there's. There's so much good hate out there for it. Graveyards, yeah. graveyards can be exploited much easier than maybe other spell-based decks. So uh, I'm excited to see it happen and see how we fight it. All right. Um, what decks in modern are you most itching to sleeve up once the set hits? We can start with Brad. Uh, I th I think. I think the first thing I want to do is actually play Morpho because I I did, you know that that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but I'm I'm going to be looking into uh, maybe some like green red land death decks uh, for fun, mostly because I think the card I enjoyed the the most casting was Fury, it, and and okay. it fit there. And I don't think Fury is like the the end all be all best card in the set, but it was the one that when I cast I felt the best about myself. And so I want that failing back. Like your opponent plays two creatures and you pitch a card and you get a two for two trade for no mana. Oh, it's chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one I think some people have pointed out when initial reactions to fury were that it were, was the weakest of the cycle. It's the only one that can actually be even or better on card advantage. Yes. Yeah. You could even I mean, gain card advantage. There's a lot of enchantments on their creature. And then you, and then yeah, you there's, yeah, 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 true. Oh. Yep. Yeah, and one of these two um, can kill an Emrakul, right? Yeah, the, the white one. Yeah. Can. Yep. Yep. Uh, next up, uh, I'll, I'll read the whole thing, but mostly you can just talk about the cards specifically. Uh, there are not many cards in the reprint to modern that have really surprised me, but one of them is Zurin Orb. Uh, was this decided to make Modern Legal because it was thought it could be an interesting card to have in the format, or were there other considerations like a reprint being necessary? So I guess just just talk about, did you guys play with CERN or much? Do you think it has a spot in the format? No, I, di I didn't play with Zurin or Mom. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Brad gave absolutely no thoughts to Zurin or Didn't know it was in the set <laughs> until this very moment. Uh... <laughs> so the thing about the reprint list is basically 
you know, like I read it when I first got there to just like say, all right, which of these cards do I think might be a serious problem for modern? And Zernorb, mm -hmm. I think that it can have some fringe applications. I think that it potentially makes decks with Karn a little bit better against decks that have burn spells. I think that it has some potential interactions with Titania Protector of Argoth. But like, I don't think that, you know, I'm not worried about this card being the thing that makes like Restore Balance like an unbeatable deck or something. And mm -hmm. because the reprint cards, either you reprint them or you don't, you can't tweak the numbers at all. Um, like that's how both of us forgot that Upheaval was in the set is we thought about it. We tried to think of like whether there was some way that we could, you know, break it, decided eh, Counterspell exists and moved on to like <laughs> other questions. And um, like Zeranorb didn't seem like a card that really demanded a lot of attention. And we weren't involved in the process of originally selecting which cards were in the reprint list. And so I think mm -hmm. that we assumed that whichever team or people or whatever had already done that did it for reasons. And we weren't gonna like rock the boat unless there was like a serious concern with the card. Yeah, and, and it's and it's worth bringing up one quick thing is that, you know, Sam might have worked on this for a lot longer than us uh, or at a different time, but coming into the building, we had 20 days, and that's not a lot of time. Um, and the set was very established. So, you know, there's a lot of words on a lot of these rares and mythics, and, and I focused a lot of my time on those. So, like, you know, unless somebody directed me to to a certain card on the reprint list, I was, you know, just trying to check out all of these cards with all these words and see if they did anything silly. Makes sense. Uh, next question. Do you think Affinity could return as a solid option in Modern? Thought Monitor is so sweet. Uh, I, I definitely worked on Artifact decks, uh, both Hardened Scales and uh, Blue-based Affinity ones. The card's very good. It's just that once you get, start getting interacted with, things fall apart. So it's a high variant mm -hmm. strategy. Um, but I did think that both like these artifact decks, hardness scales and blue based ones um, definitely got a lot of new toys. And I'll, I'll just be the first to say that they're fun to play with. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy all the math in these decks and all of these strategies. And uh, I, I don't know how great thought monitor is going to be, but I definitely think that hardened scales um, got some competitive upgrades that you might have to you know get dirty and work in and and figure out in the set i don't know the numbers right. but i i did love the deck okay uh next up so i think we have a slide for this one showing all the colorless and tron hate uh did you guys feel like the colorless decks were too good and that's why so much hate was printed against them so we have break the ice void mirror and Obsidian Charmaw as some some pretty powerful examples of this. Uh, thoughts on that, guys? We'll start with... Yeah. Um, so it's not so much about what uh, the independent contractors thought about the power of colorless decks, um, but I know that uh, people in the building who have access to, like, the um, Magic Online uh, statistics about, like, you know, what does well in the modern queues had had the feeling that um, Eldrazi Tron specifically was um, really not given proper respect by the community relative to like its actual numbers. That, that deck mm -hmm. just like won a lot 
um, despite the fact that a lot of like players didn't take it very seriously. And um, I think that they were kind of just like always afraid that people might notice how good that deck is um, and wanted some tools there. Plus, you know, players having an interest in having better tools to beat Mono Green Tron is uh, not exactly, you know, it's people know that that's something that people want. Um, mm -hmm. The Tron hate that exists on the internet is real. Um, and I think that, you know, just in general, when there's a deck that's been good for a really long time and people have like tried to beat it and struggled in some cases, uh, especially with the upgrade that this deck got due to the new mulligan rules, um, I think it's reasonable to give people better tools to fight it when that's what they're looking for. Makes sense. All right, we've only got about four minutes left, so we're going to try to hit a couple of these last questions. Um, well, we'll do this one for Sam. Uh, what non legend what non legendary targets were you testing in your reanimator decks? Our kind of cruelty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 problem the, the reason like. I do not like that design. I think that it's too good. I think that it solves the question of what you should try to reanimate by itself. I think that it is good against basically everyone in all spots, and it should always be your go-to reanimator target. I think that mm -hmm. if your deck is working in a way where you have like um, a good, you know, tool, like if you have unmarked grave, it gives you some like toolboxy type stuff, and so you could put like a tide spout, a tide spout, tide spout tyrant. Um, or a couple other like specific like narrow bullets in your deck or whatever, um, Ashen mm -hmm. Rider or whatever is another reasonable one. But like mm -hmm. you know, your first your the go to should always be our kind of cruelty. All right. Um, pretty. We're we're gonna make this. I think the last question. Apologies to everyone whose question questions we didn't quite get to. Um, did you do any testing with Shardless Agent? I'm I'm pretty sure we did. I don't remember it being I think that. Brian much. did a lot. Okay. Because Brian was like stress testing like the Tinker and other free spells with this. Yes, yes, yes. I do remember that now. Oh, yeah, we definitely tested it. I I should be fine. Question mark? <laughs> it's a strong card. Yeah. Great. I mean, I, I, I'm personally excited to play this in the the Crashing Footsteps, I think, archetype. Footfalls. I definitely want to... Footfalls, yeah, Crashing Footfalls. That, that seems interesting to me. Which one's Crashing Footfalls? The Modern Horizons two... 1 make two four fours. Yeah. Sure, yeah, 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 the Suspense Bell. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. So uh, first, I want to thank Sam and Brad for joining us and for answering a bunch of questions. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about their time testing Modern Horizons 2, uh, both of them have written articles on StarCityGames.com talking a little bit about the background. They shared some of the stories that we talked about here. They, they shared some additional stuff there. So if you really want more information, uh, go check out their articles if you're able. Uh, next week on Weekly MTG, we're going to take that 
part of the show where I opened a pack and held up a couple cards. And we're just going to do that the whole show. So I've got um, a collector booster box. I've got a set booster box. I got draft boosters. Uh, we're just going to come and hang out next week and crack a bunch of packs. So tune in if you like pack opening shows. Otherwise, uh, thank you all for joining in and we'll see you next week.